This is Fear and Trembling, a podcast of Hardawake Ministries, where pastors and guests share a community together as we talk about how the gospel impacts everyday life. We gather around the microphone following the Apostle Paul's wisdom to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I think we're starting this podcast similar to last month's podcast where we're all dancing again to this. And gentlemen, if your children ever see that, they will hold it against you. (laughs) Well, hey, I'm glad we're back, back around the table again, and glad uh, you're joining us as you listen in, uh, wherever you're listening in. If you're running a 10K, good on you, as my brother would say down in Australia. If you're listening at home, wherever you're listening to your podcasts, uh, dun, dun, dun. thanks for making yeah. part. Thanks for making us part of your day. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yay! I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you you gotta not let me be the producer. <laughs> no, I'm Aaron. Uh, I'm the uh, campus pastor of Watershed. I'm Darwin. I'm the executive pastor. I'm JB, Campus Pastor Fusion. And I'm Bill, Campus Pastor at Celebration. Right on. And we are picking up where we left off last month uh, with Tim Keller's book, Reaching the West Again. Hopefully you grabbed a free copy of this short little book and started diving. Where would I get that, That would be on hardwick.com, the Spiritual Formation Resources. Oh, there's so much there I've heard. With a link to City to City. (laughs) Otherwise, if you want to go to City to City directly, Redeemer City to City, um, dive right in. And uh, yeah, we were talking about the six basic elements of a missionary encounter, right? How how are we diving into connecting with where we left off. Uh, Last time we talked about uh, the first two. So a Christian high theory and a postmodern evangelistic, there we go, uh, dynamic. Bill, uh, lead us again. Where are we we diving in today? Let's get into number three. And this was a real eye-opener and very, very helpful for me. Uh, He refers to it as um, a category-defying social vision. Okay. And to do this, he's picking up from the work of a Scottish professor, a friend of mine studied with this guy, Larry Hurtado. Um, and the book that he wrote, Destroyer of the Gods, it's an examination of the church in the first three centuries when, again, they were a cultural minority. They had no political power. There had never been such a thing as Christendom. But there was the power of the gospel and the good news of uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Hurtado in his book looks at five categories that marked the early Christian church. You want want me to read those real quick? Yeah, sure. Go right ahead. Um, The book is great. Keller's YouTube video where he summarizes this is really helpful. Um, I'm just going to read to you these five categories from Uh, Larry Hurtado's examination of the early church. He says the early church was multiracial and multiethnic. He says the second thing is that they were highly committed to caring for the poor and the marginalized. The early church was spoken poorly of by the Roman government because they took care of our poor as well as their own poor. (laughs) They were generous and kind to all people. 
third thing that Hurtado Pass uh, points out and Keller picks up on, they were non-retaliatory, marked by a commitment to forgiveness. They were peaceful and kind people, even to their uh, enemies. Uh, Number four, they were strongly and practically against abortion and infanticide. Mm. The practice of the time, if you had a child that you didn't want, they couldn't intervene in the pregnancy. But when the child was born, they would just leave it out to die. And Christians were known in their communities, people who would pick them up and raise them of their own, this practice of um, adoption. And then finally, revolutionizing the sex ethic. Um, Roman sexual practices were diametrically different than the Jewish uh, things that we had inherited as the early church. And the early church lived out the Jewish commitments in the midst of a very, very different world. So they look like revolutionaries. They really stood out. And those five things become part of this, what Keller calls the category-defying social vision. So yeah. he also then plays those out, what we need to have marking us in our day and time. And I'm just going to throw this out, having everybody having heard that and We've all read it. What stuck, stood out to you among those? Was there one that was a particular surprise or particular interest that you'd want to dig into? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing that stands out to me really quickly is, and, and Keller says this, is we can look at this today and go, wow, there's Democrat, Republican, you know, there's liberal, conservative, like two and two, mm-hmm. like that we would, if we used the stereotype. Right, yeah, the current kind of categories. Right, but then the categories. sexual ethic. You go, wow, yeah, we think we're so evolved, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, if you go back to the times, um, we're no yeah. different. Right. Um, but uh, then, you know, one specifically, I think in the poor, you know, caring for the poor and justice, uh, Keller uses the word civility, mm. and that word. Um, just for me and our culture and I think what I just crave more and more um, is that civility. How do we, how are we being peacemaker? You know, so am I someone who is um, adding to shalom peace or am I somebody who's creating more chaos? Because it's just chaotic. It's, (laughs) The lack of civility between people, between neighbors, between people in parking lots. It it just ah. on bumper sticks sure. bumper stickers, the more mm. things we see today, um, the lack of patience, the lack you know, the self righteousness. Last time we talked about uh relig- we're still a really religious people. Um but the self-righteousness that exists in people's own determined religions, sure. you know, self-determined religions. So civility, um, just craving that and how we can really have this new category defying social vision. We could contribute to justice, so even just in being civil people. I, I think really one of the challenges here. What are internal conversations and what are external conversations? Okay. <laughs> In other words, how are we – what are the conversations we're having within our community? If we're, if we're an alternative community, then, then what is that alternative, alternative community rooted in? Sure. So in other words, if, if I look at it this way, that as an alternative community, we believe in a transcendent God who broke in to redeem us. Yeah. 
we we are we see each other as being created in the image of God, and even those who don't acknowledge God still bear His image, and, and we recognize that. Sure, that that we're called to be a people who who are marked by humility, who who are willing to put other people beyond, before ourselves. Um, we're to be empathetic. If I were to summarize the fruit of the spirit, well, that in itself shapes how we interact with each other. Yep. And it shapes how we interact with those outside of our community, that we don't let them define the relationship, that, that this is just who we are. Yeah. And you can accept it or you can reject it, but, but, but it's who we are. And so as I looked at this, particularly the first um, four, um, you know, I really latched onto that. I, when it comes to revolutionary regarding the ethics of sex, we could have a long discussion about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, but I think again, as a as a longtime youth worker and studying of youth culture, um, we have not done a really good job at at equipping our people to navigate the current changes in sexual ethic. Sure, sure. I mean, if if any place in the area, this area alone is where we have appealed more and more to the law rather than helping them understand what a gospel-centered, grace-centered sexual ethic is. Well, and don't you think that's because when we treat a topic like sex and sexuality and everything surrounding that as taboo, right? Um, we, we can't help but either treat it as sort of the enemy and so then the law fixes, you know, right. we'll pawn it off over there or just we just don't talk about it. Right. Yeah, and we don't learn how to bring grace and the right. hope of the gospel right. to that area right. of life. Yeah. So well, we pulled ourselves out of that actual conversation. Yeah. Right. Well, I think one one of the things you were saying, both of you were saying, you know, this non-retaliatory mark by commitment to forgiveness, that third mark. Sure. Which is all about how we we view people. Right. Right, yeah. and do we value people, which yeah. brings us to a conversation we were having earlier about your definition of friendship, like we do we value people, and all of these are based in having a high view and value of all people, even a sexual ethic, yeah. um, right. where right. where it's like you value people, and so you create a vessel that values and protects people with this powerful thing called sex. But um, anyway, I just kind of was yeah. was thinking about how that is kind of at the root. Do we value people? Do we see people as image bearers of of God? And yeah. And and will we live that out in a way right. that doesn't depend on how other people treat us? Right. I'm treating you as an image bearer of God, even if you vote yeah. for somebody else. Regardless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I I recognize that you are an image bearer. I'll take it a step further. Who's been broken, mm-hmm. and so I need to treat you with the 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 love and respect and care of a broken image bearer, and that's why the gospel. Beca- right. So there's ways to, to build and communicate, but they're just very, very different than yeah. certainly what yeah. I grew up with. Well, and I know all of us have talked about the fact of going, like when we are, I mean, we're, we're blessed to be able to be pastors and serve serve a community of people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we serve all kinds of people across a whole spectrum of ideas and beliefs and political parties and you name it, right? But the thing that we've all talked about, the thing that helps us do it is the gospel, right? right? It's not about who's right or wrong because most of the time, again, uh, 
many of our ideas on those things are means and methods to try to get at what we're all trying to get at. And that's right. God's kingdom. And what does God want? And, and, and so when we keep going back to the gospel, when we keep coming back to the kingdom of God, we go, that redefines, that's that third way. Um, I think we talked about that last in the last podcast, like that Keller's trying to help us see there's a third way. There is a different way. That gives us a whole different ground. Yeah, and if we get pressed off into one or the other of the world's alternatives, then we're going to find ourselves losing grip of that third way, right. that very different kind of thing. I mean, it's where else in the world are people hearing the the folks who disagree with you, who you disagree with, they are still valued image bearers for whom Jesus died to redeem Right. And bring to faith. I mean, that should be a unique message of God's people, the church. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would how would that preach in a crusade setting? I mean, isn't that interesting? How do we mix all these things up? Yeah. Yeah, and how do you go about doing that? Well, from the uh, category-defying social vision, how we live out this gospel of grace faith into a— a uh, very different world. Uh, Keller picks up a great idea. I, I found as I've talked with this and folks, um, it rings a real bell with them. It's called the counter catechesis for a digital age. We're living in a digital age, and that's a, a means of media of communicating. Yeah. But one of the things he's talking about here is our culture is catechizing everyone. Right. The catechism. Yep. Kesis that comes from advertising, from how you picture humanity. How do we present the gospel as an, a different catechism than the catechism of the world has given us? I've been very taken with this, but how about y'all? What, tell me about what comes to mind when you heard him talk about the counter-catechism that's so necessary. For me, I mean, it's— I think uh, Bill Bright was Campus Crusade, right? Sure. Is that right. Yeah. Yep. yeah? And uh, the four spiritual laws, well, I could give them to yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I I don't know if he's the one who necessarily came up with this, but you know, as he was again committed to reaching college students, right? Yep. You always got to be ahead on the cultural game. Um, I just know he talked about the seven mountains of influence um, often, and that was education, religion, family, business, government. Arts and entertainment, so sports kind of fits in the arts and entertainment, and then finally media. And yep. today it's social, you know, as much social media as sure. regular media. But it, it that's what came to my mind as I read Keller okay. of going, you know, these these are still these influencing mount, mountains of influence uh, that exist in our lives, and going. We're just being able to recognize how important that media space is right now for a generation. Um, you know, it's just going, yeah, it, it's, it's dictating, it's determining, it's where are, what are our kids on, what are we on, what are, what are we hearing all the time, what are the yeah. voices in our heads, you know, and so. So I think, I think, I think, I'm going to be really careful here, but I'm going to just say it. <laughs> I, I, I would say media is the Everest of them all. The Everest of them oh, all. Yeah. Fair enough. And 
And it is not just our young people. It is middle age, is adult. Yes. Yeah. Everyone yes. is being yes. oh, absolutely. shaped yeah. by this. Yes. Yep. And I think yes. it's easy for us as, as old, for me at least, older. Yeah. Say, I'm not yourself. shaped by it nearly as much as some of these young people. But, but I am. And when my phone right. hears me talking to one of you guys about wanting to buy something and then the advertisement <laughs> shows up in my feed for that thing and I know somehow my idea has gotten to my phone that was listening to a conversation that is oh, now yeah. being sold. That data is now being sold to a marketer mm-hmm. who's trying to sell me a product. Right. That, that when we talk about catechesis in this environment – we're talking about a monumental, monumental task. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you think about some some t- statistics, excuse me. Yeah. That the average adult is on their phone. I was just looking at this this past week for the sermon, but three hours and forty three minutes a day on a oh. device, which amounts Oof. to about fifty days a year, that we pick up our phones fifty eight times a day, and it just you know how do you how do you compete with that right. level of catechesis or teaching and formation right. when we have one hour on a Sunday morning, you know, or, or you know, yeah. um, just that that time disparity, um, and to think that that's not forming and teaching, yeah, it, yeah. it is, yeah. and, and it is a Mount Everest, yeah, and yeah. I'll go with the Mount Everest, but I also want to strongly speak to generational thing. It is not a generational problem. No. It is across right. mm-hmm. the board. Yep. Years ago, I remember the research from Christian Smith at the University of North Carolina who began to identify a different religious worldview right. that was being communicated, moralistic therapeutic deism. You can read about it. He was doing research around the year 2000 mm-hmm. and identified that. Well, those people are now parents of of children in schools. Right. It was those folks, my generation and and younger, that set up the social media stuff, and we were filled with those ideas. Some of the strongest um, uh, people committed to, without knowing it, uh, expressive individualism, mm-hmm. are in their fifties and sixties. When I hear. People say, you can't tell me what to do. I don't care if you're 15 on social media or 70 watching them TV yeah. news cycle. That's expressive individualism. You can't tell me what to do because I'm the one who decides for me. It's not an age thing. Right. No, but, but I do think about this. There's a couple things that I think about here. One is I still think family is incredibly important. Oh, there, sure. Because, yeah. because it models a way of being in the world. Yep. Um, not that our kids always grow up to follow that model. Oh, dear. But it, it models away being in the world. But also, I think the the community, the, the, the Christian community, also can have a really tempering influence here when it's willing to share the stories of its own struggles, of its own failures, and its own successes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, when you go back to the previous thing, um, where are the stories where— People actually see not sin celebrated, but the gospel celebrated. Yeah. And again, I think that goes back to those seven mountains. Just right. to just to say, of going, we 
we we have opportunity, right? And and right. his whole point of a counter catechesis, what was a catechesis, you know, catechisms as we're familiar with in our right. tradition, right. right? As they often were, um, and this Keller was really helpful, I think, in this of they help explain culture and what was taking place, and then refuting some things about yeah. culture, and then re-narrating the gospel, right? And and what that looks like contextualizing might be a different word, you know, but re-narrating the story of the gospel in that day, right? So we better understand the Heidelberg Catechism if we understand what was going on in that day. Right. Can it speak to today? Absolutely. Sure. Right. Um, but I love Keller's press to say um, those catechisms are great, right? We, we, we don't get rid of them. Um, they're wise friends for us. But, man, we've got to keep doing that work as the church, kind of Darwin, in, right. leaning into what you just said, continuing to tell new stories to engage a new culture, you know. Yeah, we right. need to, with teaching, address the issues of our time with the same kind of faithfulness that the writers of the right. Heidelberg Catechism address the issues of their time, not yep. repeat their answers. Right. For, Different right. questions, right? But to identify the questions that we're facing and be just as faithful—that's why the Apostles' Creed has a different focus than the Heidelberg, yep. and there's a reason for that. Yeah. Different questions that they're speaking the hope of the gospel to. Sure. Well, so so it's a challenge, though, if you think about it, as, as an alternative community, and and um, JB in his sermon on Sunday talked about turning off notifications on your phone. Sorry, I was paying I, attention, JB. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's good. good. <laughs> um, and I did, and I did that. A while ago, and I've yeah. left most of them off, and I will tell you that it is a, a positive step. It's a good thing. It helps you get away from the tyranny of the urgent. Um, but it also brings a backlash. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, why didn't you respond to yeah. my text within 30 seconds? Um, you know, why did— Are you didn't... mad? Yeah. <laughs> You're mad at me. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, oh. but, but all of a sudden, the, so all the, these people that I, I'm communicating with have this expectation yeah. about how rapidly I'm supposed to respond— and that, that that rapidity is based on the notifications that I can see the blue dot or hear the chime on my phone. And when I begin to turn those notifications off, then then I'm I actually feel like I'm how should I say not living up to other people's expectations. Yeah, right. and and in fact, you're only returning to the time and response standards that were all of ours ten years ago. Right. It's amazing how those expectations and standards are changing rapidly. And so what's really interesting there, well, this is a digression. Sorry, producer. Um, <laughs> Rant on. all is forgiven. But, 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 but what's happened is all these things that were supposed to be time-saving, like I can do email, so now I have two hours free. It doesn't take two hours to do memos. Other thing, that time is still being consumed, and now I have to respond to 500 emails rather than 20 memos. Right. And and so our lives have have become, one person has put, have become faster, not because we have more time, but we try to continue to shove more and more into the time that we have, right. and the result is fatigue. Yeah. And so when I think about what kind of like he says, what kind of moral ecology, what are we passing on? And you know, boredom is not a bad thing, but in our culture, it's a sin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and it and it's frightening. It's frightening. What it does to me, I'm I'm bored. What does that say about me? You know, to turn our phones off and put them on the on the cabinet 
um, for an evening feels countercultural. <laughs> Maybe stressful even. Stressful. <laughs> what am I missing? What am I missing? You know, FOMO. And, so what yeah. kind? So so what kind of uh, kind of moral ecology? Are we trying to create in our communities? Yeah. I mean, maybe it'd be, it'd be really interesting, but what would happen if we just collected cell phones when people came into worship? Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, what don't would happen? I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't I, like mandates. Yeah. You know, but, <laughs> but what kind of environment? How would we create a different environment? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then what if we passed a law because we could be legalists? That that you can't leave, you can't get your phone back until you've actually interacted with another human being for five minutes after worship. <laughs> okay, a different kind of moral ecology. Yeah, yeah. But that's probably not going to work, and I'm going to get fired. Um, <laughs> but, that, but, but what is that catechesis? What is it? What, is yeah. It? Yeah. what does it mean to teach and to teach differently against the yeah. pressing, the pressing issues of our time? Sure. Um, I was very taken on page 39 of his a little book where he begins to give um, words to the catechism of our culture. And it's questions like this. Um, there's a catechism about freedom. You should be free to live as you choose as long as you don't hurt anyone. Well, how does that play out right. in light of the gospel? Yeah. <clears throat> and those sorts of things. Science, the only way to solve our problems is through objective science and facts. Really? How, how do we engage and, and deal with those sorts of things? Yeah. So not only identifying them but engaging them in a, a loving and a humble – we were looking at that yeah. earlier mm – -hmm. this uh, different kind of civil discourse. Well, he goes on to say – and I'm going to push us along here. After the counter uh, cases for this new age, he talks about how we need to have faithful Christian presence in public spheres – that was really uh, intriguing to me. And his final sixth point was grace to the point. We need to be able to speak at the very core of our faith where the gospel of grace is. But I want to kind of wind up with a, a encouragement. He looks at five particular encouraging things for the um, that are going on. You know, it's easy to look at these. It's certainly oh, are, easy are, are we just going to jump those last two? Oh, I mean, Bill, we can dive back in. It's okay. okay. I mean, <laughs> Pick it up. What, what, if, what do you want to speak to? What really struck you from that missionary encounter, five I, or six? I mean, I think in in five, with the faithful Christian presence in public spheres, we've, we've been talking about that. Yeah. But um, there were a couple Posture. There are three postures um, that he he mentions, and from uh, who who was the James Hunter uh, yeah, wrote James on this. Hunter. Yeah, um, but he brought up three: be defensive against culture and seek to dominate it; seek purity from culture and withdraw from it entirely; or compromise with culture and be assimilated by it. Right. That, Three different responses. Right. And how those – none of those responses are going to get us, you know, the desired outcomes that we really want that reflect the kingdom of God. And I just – I think for people listening, you know, where – my question would be is, you know, I lean into probably um, – be defensive against culture, um, but more in the posture of seek to dominate it. And it comes out of my plate, my, my own spirit of wanting to be right. 
right? I've got to prove why what I believe is the right way. And it, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't engage as we've been talking about throughout both of these podcasts, relationships, it doesn't engage understanding. So I, I guess throwing it out to, to folks who are listening, where just as a, maybe a question of, for reflection of which of those three do you tend to fall, fall into more yeah. often than not? So, Keller plays that out on page yeah. 46 and 47. You can dig so, right into that. James Davidson Hunter's book is actually really good. I, I can't remember the title of it. Do you have it in your piece? Uh, it says, uh, To Change the World, to change the, world. the Irony, Tragedy, and Possibility of Christianity in the Late Modern World. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great book. Um, actually was not well received. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, when it came out. Huh. And um, people were highly critical of him because it wasn't confrontational. Um, and that he was just really inviting people to consider what does it mean to live as a faithful Christian in a fallen world. And and added to that, which which I really liked what he did, he said, if you're going to live as a faithful Christian in a fallen world, there are consequences. Yeah. And you don't respond to those consequences by claiming your religious right. You don't religious freedom or anything else. You accept them as a gift from God of living faithfully. He's placed yeah. you in that time and context. Yeah, he's placed you in that kind of context. So, so what does it mean as to live faithfully? To say, I'm living faithful as a Christian, and you're bringing this down on me. What does it mean to accept that and say that is a gift from God? It yeah. is what you experience by the call to live faithfully, and God will sustain you through that. Yeah. yeah. So he offered a, a very alternative way of being in the world. That really doesn't fit with the modern mindset. Yeah, our typical categories. That sounds and, a lot like the next book we're going to be reading. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what it is later, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's well, spot on. Yeah, but but and and here's something to know: he did that as a professor at a secular university. university. Yeah. yeah. So he was in the midst of living that out and struggling that out. Yeah. But as I try to say from time to time, God puts us exactly where he wants us to do right. in us what he wants to do. Right. Do we really believe that? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to as well that final point of grace to the point is mm-hmm. Keller reminding us it's grace, not um, religious moralism. Yeah. Right. And and again, if we fall into something as Christians, if we're honest, it's religious moralism. It's our own self-righteousness about what we believe. And the challenge is, um, I mean, a while back I, I preached in Galatians 5. That's well, Paul Paul is speaking to the – be careful. You're going to lose the freedom by enslaving yourself again. And isn't that it? That that book of Galatians, if you only had one book in the Bible to really get at that issue, that's it. That's it. Yep. That was the book that revolutionized Luther's thinking and yep. changed the history of Western civilization. And we can't help it. I mean, it's it's in the DNA. Yep. It's so I, I like to describe it this way is, is that sociologically we like to be around people like us. Sure. Yep. And so so the moralism actually is a, a result of our own sinful nature where yeah. we can create a community of people who are like us that, that we're really comfortable with. Yeah. And yep. the gospel, the gospel invites us to be a people who hang out with those who make us uncomfortable. So it makes it messy. 
So it makes it really messy and and it makes it challenging and it breaks down um, barriers and it makes us – it drives us through the spirit to be more humble and to be more empathetic and to walk yeah. with people who are different from us. Yeah. And that's that's why some of the conversations in the church are so difficult because essentially we're saying we're – we're being open to be in a relationship with people who are not like us yeah. so that the Spirit might not only form us but form them through that relationship. And I would say that that makes the question that Aaron just asked so important. Right. Like, what what are you more likely to do? Um, because sure. as we hang out with those who don't believe the same thing, are you more like, like know your weak spot, know yeah. your right. tendency. Yeah. Like, am I going to come down on you? Is that my tendency? Or... Am I more likely to just kind of assimilate and compromise? Um, and to sure. know that about yourself allows you to more faithfully live into those circles centered and yeah. grounded in the gospel. Because yeah. for me, it's it's a different tendency. Sure. You know what right. I mean? So we well, understand your reflexes. Right. And right. you know yep. what's reflex and what's gospel. Yeah. Right. right. And, it, and it's being in, in situations that can put you off on that. Haven't we all experienced these moments of tremendous gospel discovery when we're in a an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Yeah. A missionary sitting, a short-term missions can do that, and you realize, whoa, this is so different. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to encourage us earlier. I, <laughs> Maybe I'll let you encourage I, us. <laughs> that's all good. Um, he mentions these things that he finds encouraging. Is there a particular one that, that stood out for you? These are things that Keller is seeing oh, yeah. taking place in our time and um, we need to recognize those as the fingerprints of God. Where, yeah. where are things happening like that right now? The chosen religion. And, and sometimes I think people hear that and might think elite, sort of an elitism. But Henry Nouwen would, talks about this in The Life of the Beloved as well. Um, but it's our identity anchored in being chosen by God. And that's the gospel that's available to all people, that yeah. God has chosen you. Like, So it's a gift. It's not a look at me, I'm better than you. If that's what it is, then then yeah, that's that's not the chosenness. But the, the importance is we go with a gospel of God has chosen you in Christ Jesus. Um, so I, you know, I look at that and that, again, goes back to value, goes back to JB, our conversation about friendship of I'm choosing to be in relation. There's so much power that enlivens. That's the mm-hmm. gift that enlivened us because God has chosen us, and it's a gift we give to others that can enliven another because we've chosen to be with them, and God has chosen them as well. So, so that page yeah. 55, the power of chosen religion. Yeah. So my, I guess there's two that I, I find really Exciting. I, I think one is everything is unprecedented once. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> that was like, a great statement, wasn't the, it? <laughs> the, the idea that we're having to navigate all the stuff that we're having to navigate, um, all the surprises, all the unexpectedness. Um, and he didn't even have an idea of a pandemic in here. I know. Right. COVID, this yeah. was pre-COVID. Or yeah. This is yeah. all pre-COVID. That, that all of this it provides incredible opportunities to speak into the lives of people. And – and it's easy. It's easy. And I admit it. It's easy to get fearful. Yeah. But but all these things are just opportunities. And um, and it's it's kind of like right now. I mean, we're beginning to see 
um, in the academic literature at least, and it's begin dribbling down into the popular literature, um, the corrosive effects of social media. Mm-hmm. We actually have an opportunity to speak into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so not in a way that clobbers, but to say that, that social media isn't going to meet the genuine needs of your heart. Yeah, it it reduces humanity. It reduces not humanity. Pro- produces. Yeah, and, there you go. And, and and we can talk about the the evils of social media all day long, but that's not going to address the questions that people are asking. And, and so, not only do we have to critique, but we have to frame the questions in a way that people hear them. Yeah. And and see that the gospel is a viable alternative, and it doesn't mean just giving up social media. We've got to have a heart change. It's a heart change. Of the value of humanity. The value of humanity. And and so, I mean, for me, this is the most exciting thing, is to to navigate this. And it it takes me back, um, like, and we're going to get in trouble. Okay? (laughs) I remember my first college teaching job, I had a... um, a compact, luggable computer, nine-inch CRT, oh, two gosh. disk drives, cost oh, me gosh. way more than anything I've ever bought today. <laughs> cost me way more than a phone. I mean, it yeah, was like yeah. it was cutting edge. And as a small college, and I, the first week I got called into the dean's office, and Uh-oh. the dean says, um, "I need to talk to you about tying up one of the two phone lines the college has so oh, with your gosh. modem." Oh God! Of course you'd do that. <laughs> okay, but but this is an area that, like we were learning to navigate a whole new frontier. Yep, right. Yep. It, it was yep. crazy. Like the world was at your fingertips for the very first time, and this thing called Gopher allowed you to find all sorts of stuff. Gosh, I remember that one. Yeah, nobody who's over under fifty even knows what I'm talking about. Yep. <laughs> but the idea was but the idea was that that the church has always had the opportunity to navigate an yeah. unprecedented time. And the question is, will we live into it faithfully? Yeah. Will we be as faithful in our time as yeah. uh, others were in theirs? Anything stand out? Uh, I that first one, just the rise of global Christianity. I mean, yeah. we it's so easy for uh, you know to be consumed that America or Europe is the only no the church is exploding in other parts yeah. of the globe, yeah. and um, not to say that that allows us to just, you know, not do anything. Um, but it's it's an encouragement that the the church ain't going anywhere. The yeah. Church yeah. of Jesus Christ yeah. is, and God's is God's moving. We yeah. I'm very aware that there's been more Muslims come to a personal faith, baptized, coming to Christ in the past 13 years than the previous 13 mm-hmm. centuries. Yeah. Wow. There are amazing things happen. My one of my favorite was the last one. What we need now, collaborative independence. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around the table and say, "Well, golly, Tim Keller would be pleased." Yeah. Right? <laughs> this great Hardaway experiment that we love and are trying to figure out every day, and that brings real blessing to our different communities. Yep. This is exactly what he's pointing to. Right. We're we're there. Imagine, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, and uh, this has been good. Uh, yeah. We 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 switched it up on ourselves. Went went two go rounds. Um, yeah. But uh, next time we're gonna we're gonna dive into the book "Being the Bad Guys: How to Live for Jesus in a World That Says You Shouldn't" by Stephen McAlpine. Yeah. So. 
Uh, again, book. Being yeah. the Bad Guys by Stephen McAlpine. You can pick that up at you know Amazon or other places that you find your books. Uh, thanks for diving in with us um, on how to reach the West again. Again, you can find a copy of that. You can find links for that on our uh, heartawike.com in our spiritual formation resources. Otherwise, I'm Aaron. I'm Darwin. I'm JB. And I'm still Bill. <laughs> <laughs> with that, thanks for joining us, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk with you again next time. <laughs>